KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I'm not a screamer or yeller. I don't curse, but as one of my players said one time, he can make you feel bad, you know, if you don't do what you're supposed to do. So, I mean, I'll, I, I think I'm, uh, I'm low key in that that respect, but I'll people know what I want, and uh, I do my best to try to get it. And our guest this week, Fran O'Hanlon, a man who is just part of the fabric of Philadelphia basketball, spent decades leading the program at Lafayette College up in Easton, and just this summer was named the new boys head basketball coach at Cardinal O'Hara High School. Fran, thanks so much for the time. Oh, you're welcome, and I appreciate you having me. So let's talk about coming on board at Cardinal O'Hara, reading some articles. It sounds like originally... You were going to be an assistant, but then things kind of developed, and now the program's yours. Am I correct? Yeah, that's pretty much how it came down. I was going to help out, you know, looking to do something. Uh, and, uh, you know, Cardinal Harris is not too far from me, and I thought that'd be a nice uh, a nice uh, thing for me to do uh, and be the assistant and maybe the JV coach and help out. And then, uh, as, as you said, things happen, and uh, all of a sudden I found myself at this late date as uh, the head coach. So what, as we're talking here, end of July, I mean, kids are out for the summer, so there's only probably so much you can do. But uh, how have you been preparing yourself, getting ready to jump back into a head coaching job? Yeah, just kind of reviewing some of the things that I've done in the past and uh, seeing a couple of the guys play in, uh, you know, whether AAU or some pickup games. So just watching and uh, just get myself mentally ready to go into the season again. Now, earlier in your career... You were the head coach at Bonner. How have friends at Bonner in that circle taken to you taking over at O'Hara? Well, <laughs> that's an interesting one because, you know, they're obviously rivals. It, it kind of reminds me, uh, I, was, I was the head coach at one time at Hapol Tel Aviv, in the professional over in Israel. And the other team in the city was Maccabi Tel Aviv. And they hated Maccabi Tel Aviv. So everybody was talking about when we're playing in the Derby and playing Maccabi Tel Aviv. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Maccabi Haifa. And I was at a pole Haifa. And um, all of a sudden, the following year, I had a job over at Maccabi Haifa. I said, you know, you know what they're saying about us over there? They're not very happy with us. Uh, it's kind of the same situation. I'm, I'm sure that... Uh, it's been it's been a great rivalry, a friendly rivalry. I mean, uh, they push each other, uh, but to answer your question, uh, people are like, "What the heck are you doing, taking over the our our main rival?" I, hey, that's what job came up. You know, that's how I I find myself. What is your earliest memory of basketball growing up? Well, I have to tell you, you know, I was growing up. I played football and baseball. That were they were my main sports. And I was, um, I actually, my football coach cut me from the basketball team in the eighth grade. I, uh, I was small, but I was a pretty good football player. So I was surprised. Uh, and it's funny how things work. It was Eddie Malloy's uncle, the coach, uh, and, um, who cut me. And, um, so then I started to concentrate on basketball, even though I, you know, I wasn't playing for any team. And then I went to the Palestra and St. Tommy Moore at that time won the Catholic League, and it just turned me on to basketball. I just said, I have to play here one day uh, at the Palestra. It's absolutely awesome, and it just spurred me on to keep working. And then um, 
the freshman team came around and I left my sneaks on the trolley and I was afraid to tell my parents that I lost my sneaks. And um, I didn't go after the freshman team because of that, the 0 and 16 freshman team. And I wouldn't have changed that at all. I could tell you that. And uh, then I still kept playing. And then um, I made it as a sophomore, as junior, senior. We won the Catholic League when I was a senior. But my earliest, just watching uh, watching St. Tommy Moore play at the Palestra uh, as an eighth grader. And I, I know that's where I wanted, I wanted to do is play basketball. Describe your game for those people that didn't get a chance to see you. I was kind of, a, I guess at that time, a, a, a little fancy, you know, uh, things that they probably do a lot more of nowadays, in legs behind the back. You know, I could shoot the ball. I'm trying to get some points retroactively because I think I shot a lot of three-pointers that didn't count as three-pointers when, when I was playing. But, I, you know, I, I thought I was a good all-around basketball player, could pass, dribble, shoot. And as I said, uh, I, you know, growing up in West Philadelphia, you kind of had a lot of a, a lot of role models like Wally Jones, who just they did a, a mural, I think. And I'm sorry I missed it because I didn't know about it. He was my, one of my heroes growing up, watching the Big Five, you know, Billy Melchione, those types of guys. But you know, West Philly at that time was, or Philly, I guess, was known as a mecca for point guards developing. And I had a chance to watch a lot of those guys, whether it's Guy Rogers or Wally Jones or guys of that nature. You know, and um, that kind of helped shape my game, so to speak. Do you feel like, as a player, you looked at the game like a coach? Yeah, and when I was, uh, yeah, as a point guard, you always looked at the game as a coach, and you were taught to be a so what a leader on the court. You know, uh, that the ball talks. Uh, you have the ball in your hands. You're the person that has to set things up. And I always felt myself as as a leader, and I always thought myself as of going into coaching at some point. You know, that was always my plan. I had uh, Billy Hoy was my coach in high school. He was tremendous. He's three times all Catholic, led the Catholic in scoring. So an- another role model for me as far as learning the game, uh, watching him and helping in my development. When did you think you were going to be able to play at college? Was there a moment during your high school career when – Maybe the attention you were getting, people you were talking to, or, or things like that, that you thought that you were going to be able to carry it to the next level? No, to be honest with you, I guess my senior year, because my junior year, uh, as I said, I, I started late. I was developing. I had a pretty good junior year. I came off the bench. They, they would, the starting point guard was Joe McFadden, and I'd come in right away for him. Pretty much, Joe is one of my best friends, who became bishop and also the president of O'Hara at one point, and then. God rest his soul. I, he left this way too early. But uh, I was uh, in going into my senior year. I think people started to realize I was a pretty good player. St. Joe, Villanova, a lot of the Big Five, uh, Virginia, West Virginia. Some of those schools started to come in and take an interest in me as the season progressed. And uh, I, I had always grown up. I mean, I, I loved the Big Five. I loved Villanova. St. Joe was not too far from me. LaSalle. But I always, you know, I, I always had a special, maybe because of Wally Jones, watching him play. Uh, I love Villanova. You know, I, they wore high black Converse sneakers at that time, which is uh, for a 17-year-old. You you pick uh, crazy reasons to choose a school. But I, I thought that, and then probably two weeks after I was there, I liked Ty White. But it didn't matter because I already made the commitment. But that's, that's kind of how, and, and at that time, too be honest you know it wasn't like you have it nowadays with aau and and things of that nature you know it was uh you were seen maybe at a in a summer league or at narbeth 
but it wasn't nearly the same kind of scrutiny that you get. And I guess that's how it kind of developed. Uh, maybe nowadays you'd have a lot more interest, you know? So back when you go to college, this was still freshmen couldn't play, correct? Exactly. So right. how did that, you know, not playing varsity that first year, how did that help the transition kind of help you adjust to, to college and to college basketball? Well, I think the freshman rule was a great rule to to adjust to academics, to adjust to college life. Didn't put the pressure on you right away, you know, and you had a chance to kind of grow into that role, you know. Uh, it also, for programs, it was good, I'm sure, from a coach's standpoint, because you didn't come in there and everybody's thinking, well, he has to play right away. No, he got to play as a freshman. And then the other part of that is, and you're, as a sophomore, sometimes because it was a program, you may not get to play immediately as well, you know. Uh, you had to work your way into it because you had got that have been starting for a couple of years, you know, uh, and playing. Do you remember the first time you felt like you really made an impact at the college level at Villanova? Do you remember the first game that you kind of came away from going, wow, yeah, I did that? Yeah, I, I think we played Fairfield. We lost to Fairfield, but I got in the game. I had a four or five assist. Uh, you know, I I felt like I really belonged there. And, you know, I mean, practices, I was doing well. But until you get in the game, you're playing at the last year. That really, I, I realized that I could I could play at this level. You had a lot of success at Villanova, team-wise and individual-wise. What are some of your favorite memories from your days playing for the Wildcats? You know, it, it was a great time in my life playing it. You know, it was a dream come true, to tell you the truth, to uh, be able to play for Villanova. Play it. I really appreciated that time. You know, games-wise, there were some games that, that stuck out or, you know, I won't talk about some of the really good games. I remember playing, and it wasn't so much at plus We played my junior year uh, up at Madison Square Garden where they used to have the holiday festival. Uh, it was a preseason tournament before Christmas. It was a tremendous tournament. You had UCLA with uh, Jabbar. You had North Carolina was number two. We were number five in the country, I think. We had Porter and Jones. St. John's was number eight. There was probably six or seven teams in the top ten. It was great. It was a great uh, tournament there, uh, and we lost to North Carolina in a, in, in a very close game. But that was probably one of, uh, a great memory. Playing at the playing LaSalle, that uh, when they were number two in the country, we were five or six, you know, uh, in the country. Great atmosphere. There were some great games and great atmosphere at, at different times. Uh, and then, you know, when you're playing at that time, you know, you're playing against a lot of people that you played against in the summer, you know. I'm, I'm playing against Dumpf, you know, who's one of my best friends. Uh, playing against Larry Cannon, Larry, you know, some of the Penn players, uh, Danny Kelly, Mike Cower, all these guys that I, we kind of played against each other in in the Catholic League growing up or the Public League. Uh, so, you know, there it, it brought a special meaning because you had you're going to see them again in the summer, you know, and you wanted to have bragging rights, and that was also a time where you were not allowed to play in leagues for whatever reason. So you would play a lot of pickup games at Temple. All the Temple guys were playing. We had different playgrounds that we would visit. But the, the, all those games were special. And, and I can remember, too, is at that point, I think like there's so many of those teams who were very successful. They were all winning. A lot of times there was two or three teams in the top ten in the country playing in the in, in the Palestra. So obvious significance and and the big five at that time uh you know you didn't have leagues we weren't in a league uh, you know we even though we played probably everybody in the 
that's in the Big East now. Uh, we played Providence every year in St. John's and uh, uh, Marquette and schools like that. But, you know, the Big Five meant something to, to win the Big Five and compete. It was, even though it wasn't called a league, it was it was a league to us. You mentioned a lot of great names, you know, Howard Porter, you, Fran Dunphy, all these guys you got to play with, and these were just guys that were just constantly around playing basketball. Like Philadelphia, the Big Five is such a unique thing. I don't think there's anything like it. And this was kind of like really a heyday for Philadelphia basketball. When you're growing up, did you appreciate the people and around you? Like, or was it something that as you got older, you're like, wow, this was this was really special? Because I imagine a lot of times, like a kid, you're just like, this is who's around. This is who my friends are. This is what it is. Yeah, but you did realize uh, there was a specialness to it. And that was a time, too. You had Channel 29, you know, Al Meltzer and Charlie Swift. Uh, and uh, they were always on, the games were on. It was always like ESPN in the heyday. Mm-hmm. You, you would watch other teams play. And the other part of that is you would have double headers at the Palestra. And maybe you'd have be playing St. Joe in the second game. And maybe LaSalle was playing Fairfield or something in the first game. Or Niagara, you know, and so midway through or half, at halftime, then you'd have the one stand start to start. Both, you know, fan groups would start yelling and it, the, the build up and the excitement of, of these games were were terrific. Uh, so, you know, whether I, I think I appreciated, I think we appreciated what we had. But I even when you get out of there a little bit and and people said, oh, yeah, I used to see you on Channel 29 or whatever. Uh, you realize what an impact that you, you did have on people watching the game. So you have all the success at Villanova. You get drafted by the Sixers, I think, in the eighth round in 70. And I guess the Miami Floridians of the ABA, I don't know if they drafted you or signed you, ended up playing there for one season. Uh, kind of yeah. take me through how did that dra- all come together? How did the pieces fit together? Yeah, I was drafted by um, the uh, – both the Sixers and they had more obviously draft choices more rounds and also I think fourth or fifth round by Miami Hal Blitman who was from Philly uh, saw me play a lot during the summer he really liked my game I don't think that Miami had a first round they had a first round not a second or third so it just seemed Wally Jones Archie Clark Hal Greer they're all playing with the Sixers I thought I'd have a much better chance, I think, of making it in the ABA. And um, so I chose the ABA after a huge bidding war for me. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Uh, but I, I signed with um, Florida. I didn't sign a no-cut. I made the team. There was it, it was very competitive to just make the team. And uh, I think I, I would have, for me, I think I would have stayed there if Hal Blitman, I think he, got, he lost his job in March I didn't have a no cut. The new coach, Bob Bass, cut me. Carolina picked me up right away, but they didn't want me to come back till the following year. The owner liked me, and I was that's when I had already gone to Europe. Um, so I didn't, I tried out in the middle of the season, and when I came back, but I, I went with Miami. That was a great time. I think Miami was precursor to all these because um, they had the bikini clad ball girls it was the first it was kind of like like the laker girls it was one of the original the guy that ran our team was ned doyle he was famous for uh, advertising made all his money in advertising alka-seltzer speedy alka-seltzer things like that so he was good at um promoting things and uh like we played in on uh, st patrick's day in new york against the nets 
and he had everybody have on their back, they put an O in front of their names, like Matt Calvin, o, o Calvin, you know, O Jones. Obviously, they didn't have to do that with me. But it was it was it was a great experience for me. And uh, as I said, I was picked up again, but I had already gone to Europe and I stayed there. How was the because one of the great things I wish I was alive during the the ABA, I think it must have been an incredible experience. It's, you know, basketball kind of transforms. What was it? The players you were playing against, the level of talent, uh, what were the crowds like in, in different places? Kind of overall, what was the the experience past what you've already talked about? Well, it was a great experience. And, so, and some places were better than others. I mean, we had just started in Miami. It was a regional franchise. We were based in Miami, but we also would play in Jacksonville and, and Tampa. Crowds were just okay there. But like on the road, like Kentucky was very good, played in Louisville. And Indiana was great. Utah was great. They, they had a very good fan base. Play, you played with the red, white, and blue ball, which obviously added a little some flavor to it. It wasn't as, it had very good perimeter players, guards, and, and uh, forwards. It didn't have the dominating dominating centers. Uh, I shouldn't say that. There was a couple. You know, Artis Gilmore was there, Dan Issel. But for the most part, I think more of the better centers were probably in the NBA at that time. But it was a fast league. It was a perimeter league. You know, they really pushed the ball. It was exciting. You had some characters in, in, in the league as well. And they, and they were buying with the NBA for the uh, basketball dollar, so to speak. So you play in the ABA, and then you do go overseas. I think you referenced that. You go to, what, Sweden and Venezuela? Is that correct? Or? Well, what happened was I, I played with an American all-star team, Jim McGregor, who uh, who had start, pretty much started a lot of basketball in Europe. He brought a lot of Americans over, sold them to different clubs over there, and he um, he brought me over. And it was kind of like you would you would travel. Every day you would play. We had a, a, a mini-type bus. There'd be 8, 10, 12 players. If they did well, they may get a job there, and they'd leave the tour, and then they, some, they'd bring somebody else. He'd get a finder's fee for that. At that time, it was hard to sell guards. He, he found guards as a necessary evil. He needed guards to throw it to the big guys so that they, he could sell them. And I, did, I toured for about two years around the world with him. We went to Japan. We were all through Europe, you know, from top to bottom. A lot of tournaments in, in Italy, for example, with national teams, Russian national team, Yugoslav. We would play the top team in Europe. And the next day, because he never wanted a day off, we may play the worst team in Europe, but it was a great, great experience. I mean, you got a, a, a doctorate in travel. We just traveled all around. And as I said, then we drew, we went across, around the world. I've probably been around the world about eight, ten times, sometimes with him, sometimes with uh, doing other things. Uh, but uh, that was I did for two years. I came back. I got it. I found out that who drafted me in the. EBA, which is like the Continental Basketball League, a lot of good players at mm -hmm. that time, played there for a few years. And then I went back overseas. I had been offered a number of jobs overseas, Australia, Philippines. I was going to give it a try to see if I could make the NBA, but it always seemed like the timing wasn't good. I, I was always overseas when I should have been trying out. You know, um, That's what happened. And, uh, and uh, as I said, I have no regrets with that. It's just I, I made a lot of good friends overseas. I, I Played and I also coached a lower division team while I was playing professionally in, in Sweden. 
I also I coached in uh, Venezuela in Barquisimeto. We won the championship that year. Professionally, I coached for two years in, in Israel, as I think I told you. So I, I, I had a great experience of traveling the world. Coming back, you know, you, when you're out of it, I, I always wanted to be a coach. Now I come back, I get a job at Monsignor Bonner because I figured at some point I got to come back and establish some kind of roots instead of traveling, traveling the world. So I got a job. I got a job in real estate and coaching Bonner. And then when Fran Dunphy, who I grew up with, you know, uh, I mean, I owe so much to Dunphy. I mean, everybody knows what a great person he is. And when he got the job at Penn, uh, he asked me to come on board and uh, gave me the great opportunity uh, that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise, you know. You know, as much as you have experience and and um, and I, ha- I thought I had accomplished things, it didn't count for anything in America. It was the fact that I knew Dumpf was what, what got me the job there. But how much do you think just your experience, meeting different people, being different places, learning different cultures, things like that, how much do you feel that rounded off you as a person to make you a better coach? Oh, it was it was a tremendous experience for me being a better coach and learning the European game a little bit. They play a little bit different. They develop bigger guys, uh, just how they play. And, you know, I would certainly not be the coach or I guess it could be <laughs> debated, but I would not have been the coach I was without that experience and without that international experience in coaching, you know, and developing my coaching chops, so to speak. And it also helped me, too, because when I got to uh, Lafayette, I had a number of foreign players that that helped us in our in beginning and get off the ground. And that was a lot of my contacts from overseas uh, that helped me out. I also got it helped me in far as placing some kids that wanted to play overseas because I knew a lot of people and uh, and I could make a call and, and you know it wasn't with cell phones or any of the other things nowadays but uh my my experiences and what i had accomplished overseas helped me greatly you play and you mentioned i think when you were in sweden while you were playing you're coaching the farm team and then you come over to to bonner did you feel comfortable coaching right away like was it obvious and i know you had thought about this early in your career but once you started doing it you were like yeah this is this is where i need to eventually be yeah well as I said, when I was in Sweden, I was a player first, and then I coached a farm team. And then I went to Venezuela, and we won the championship there, coaching a pro team. Jim McGregor got me the job. He had coached eight different – he spoke eight languages. He coached a lot of national teams, uh, so he knew everybody in the world, so to speak. And then I went to uh, Israel. Coaching was something I wanted to do. Uh, just, uh, and that's what I had done. So when I came back home – I applied for a lot of, you know, trying to be a college assistant. Once again, I didn't know people like that. I took the job coaching in high school at Bonner. We had a lot of success. Stevie Donahue was my assistant the year we won it. So I I wanted to stay in coaching in some capacity. And I loved high school. I loved coaching Bonner. And I would have stayed there as long as I could have if I I wasn't offered by Coach Dunphy, Franny Dunphy. And, um... So I said the rest, and so he, I owe so much to him and, and get me into the college ranks. We need to take a break. We will have more with Fran O'Hanlon right after this. This is One on One. And we are back on One on One, continuing our conversation with Fran O'Hanlon, who was recently named the new head boys basketball coach at Cardinal O'Hara High School. When you are coaching as someone who played high-level basketball, how difficult was it 
to seed control, like when you're playing, you got the ball, you make things happen, you know what has to be done. But when you're coaching, you can drill a kid, you can tell him, you can put it on the board. But he's the one that has to go over the line and and make it happen. Was it tough to to seed that control and get used to kind of putting your trust in the kids? Yeah, it, it, well, it's just a different type of control. Obviously, you don't have the same kind of uh, you know control. You it's that's through coaching, through get developing players, developing a culture. It does not happen overnight. I can tell you that. You know, yeah. And also the other part of that, too, Matt. Coaching professionally, and I know it's not NBA professional, you know, when you're coaching them, you have to kind of get along with them because they're getting paid and you you can't sit them on the bench or say, this is my way or the highway. So that's a different mindset as you're coaching, you know, professional. But to answer your question, you have obviously more control when you're actually on the court and, and you have the ball in your hands. But one of the things you really love about coaching and Coaching is directing energy, and you you just hope that um, you can, you know, I, I love watching young kids develop as they progress and feeling that you have, you've had something to do with that. So you mentioned you come on board with Dumpf, you spent several years as an assistant there, then you get the, the job at Lafayette. Uh, real quick, before we talk about jumping over to Easton, and you talked about how much Dump meant to you, what makes him so good? good as a coach well coaching is getting your players to do what you want them to do you know Dumpf has a fairly simple philosophy play hard make shots but he also cares very much and I think that comes across to his players he cares for them very much and um but as I said he he gets the most out of his players he gets them to do what he wants them to do Dumpf was a great player i mean he played with a great team i often say he should have been in the big five hall of fame just as a player forget about the coaching part of it because he, he was terrific but you know I, he's he's done such a phenomenal job uh, as a coach in in what he's done at penn what he did at temple and, and last year you know i, I said to him I, I thought the over and under for him because he he lost his whole team before uh, when he took over the south was eight wins. I think he won 15 or 16. You know, it was a phenomenal job that he did uh, with where where they came from. So you go to Lafayette in 95. Was it a situation where the job came open and it piqued your interest? Or had you kind of hit the point where you were looking to take the step to become a college head coach? Well, you, you always like to be, a, I mean, I had been a head coach for a long time but yeah the job came open you know and the guy that was there john leone is, is, a, is a good friend of mine he'd become a great friend of mine now and um and he fell on as college coaches do you know or coaches do they he fell on some hard times and he lost his job i think they had two wins and the ad that was at lafayette was um also the uh i was i was a temple women's coach for six months assistant coach she was also the associate ad so she now is at lafayette so she asked me to come on board and i took over a program that had had was down that year the last couple of years a great line from jim cruz who was the army coach evansville coach he was the uh, interim coach one time at um st louis and i said jim are they and he was a terrific coach terrific passing game I said, Jim, are they going to take the interim tag off you? He said, Fran, we're all just interim. 
<laughs> and I said, yeah, some interims are longer than others, but uh, we're all just interim. I thought it was a great line. I, was, I think you're right there, Jim. So you take over at Lafayette, and I think you mentioned they were a team coming off just a, a two-win season. So when you start going there, what is, what's your focus? Like what immediately? What are the immediate things you, you tried to instill to, to lead to success? Well, develop a culture of commitment to winning and, and playing the right way. When I first went there, now I, I just came from Penn. We were undefeated in the Ivy League three straight years. Now we have Drew O'Malley and Matt Maloney and Ira Bowman and great players, you know. And when I go up there, and they were always playing, and you, like you didn't have to fight with them to get in the gym, you know. Like, and uh, I know the when I first go to Lafayette, I say, all right, you guys have to work at this, you know, and they, you really had to develop culture of, of work ethic. And, and, um, so first day they're all in the gym. Second day, they're not in the gym. I call them, I say, and I, you know, I'm not, that time you're not allowed to be watching them, but it's like, I call them together. I said, you know, what's, uh, what's going on here? Uh, you should be in the gym. And then, uh, one of the parents called me and said, you know, my son li- likes to golf after the season. I said, well, I'll agree to that if we can get, you know, Bucknell and Lehigh and, and Penn to agree that they're all going to golf after the season. And he said, you're being a wise guy. I said, no, I'm just, if you want to be good at something, you have to work at it. You know, it's, it's, you can't put it all on the coach. And, um, so, so that, that we developed, we tried to develop that. And that, and that's a, it was when you had, they had been losing, that's not easy just to turn around right away so developing that work ethic and uh and just a commitment to the game and commitment to winning that's what i had to do we won the league three years after i got there now one of the other things too i remember we had not lost in the ivy league and they hadn't won in a couple years on the road as i said we only won one one game the year before i took over and uh, people said you know you guys have you ever going to win a away game i'm thinking what I won all the away games that I've been playing, <laughs> but um, that's that was the change. You had to change that. Yeah, you had to teach them how hard you had to play and how much you had to play and how together you had to play to win basketball games. That year we won seven games. We won four in February. Everybody said this is absolutely awesome. I said, yeah, if I have another awesome year like this, I think I'm going to shoot myself. Uh, you know, um, but that that's and you had you needed leaders. You needed guys that. Uh, that are going to do that and get people in the gym and, and have your back in the locker room. You, you need leaders. And uh, that, that was part of the job is to develop that leadership. Do you remember at Lafayette when you felt like it had turned the corner? Cause you mentioned you guys, you know, win the league uh, a few years, you go to the tournament in 99 and in 2000, but do you remember a palpable moment when you felt like things started to really trend in the right direction and you guys took a big step? Well, as I said, I think uh, my first year in in February, uh, I mean, I thought that we we were starting to turn the corner and people were starting to understand. Obviously, the next year we won 11 games. The next year we won 19. Uh, and that's when we won. We tied for the league. We didn't win the, the uh, final game. We lost the Navy in the final. But we that's third. I just knew it was trending in the right direction. And I had good players. I mean, you don't win without good players. Uh and I had good staff, you know, Rob Jackson, who works for San Antonio, Pat Brogan, uh, like McKee. They, they did a great job for me, and, and they were committed to it, you know. Uh, 
but that that's where you you need good people around you and you need good leadership in the locker room ted cole was one of my leaders i you know that's where you knew that it was trending in the right direction how would you describe your coaching style well i am I'm, I'm not a screamer or yeller i don't curse but as one of my players said one time he can make you feel bad you know if you don't do what you're supposed to do you know so I, I think I'm low key in that respect, but I'll people know what I want, and uh, I do my best to try to get it. You know, one of the things you sometimes it just your your style gels with players. Uh, you know, it's, I tell my players, you know, things I tell you when we had down years, things I tell I told my championship teams the same thing. I'm not I'm not saving that anything. You know, they responded differently uh you know and, and the other thing is that happened i don't know if you know that when we won uh my third fourth and fifth year we won the league but my fifth year is when they started to go scholarships and we didn't you know and uh that certainly made things a little bit harder in recruiting and even though i had some really good guys and guys that were very committed to and i, I love those guys but it, it certainly made it hard to have everybody when you're recruiting and everybody else has scholarships and you don't. How did you try to, uh, there's only so much you can do, but how did you handle that in the recruiting? Like, what did you try to, to sell that it changed the, the kids you would look at? Because that is, that's difficult terrain to navigate. Well, you were always selling the education of a Lafayette, Lafayette, like the Patriot League, one of the top academic schools in the country. You're making a 40-year decision. Our, our issue that came about was, you know, the good, there was good and bad. It wasn't as, social media wasn't nearly as big at that time. So you could get a steal sometimes. You get somebody that um, was kind of flying under the radar because uh, not everybody saw him. It wasn't on social media all the time because we didn't have, uh, it wasn't as big then. Um, so sometimes you would, as I said, you, you'd get, I hate the word steal because they're playing in Division One and you got to, you're playing the big boys, uh, but you get somebody flying underneath the radar. And, and, you know, obviously the academics is, is important. You're making a career decision. What would happen, though, at times is you'd be recruiting somebody the whole year. Maybe somebody in your league came in with a week to go and, you know, offer a scholarship and get blows you out of the water because you, you spent all that time. You were probably recruiting for the league. And then you lose somebody you've been recruiting because they can offer a scholarship and you couldn't. So you go to the NCAA tournament, 99-2000, those years you win the league. And then it's 2015 when you get back to the tournament. And I remember talking to you in 2015 when the board came up. And lo and behold, Patriot League champion Lafayette was going to play Villanova. Uh, I think it was technically the second round because they considered the play-in game the, the first round. But uh, you get your alma mater. What was that? experience like you know it's kind of almost this full circle thing where now you're coaching against the the program that developed you as a player yeah obviously i wasn't happy that i had to play villanova i think that was the ncaa to tell you the truth uh, looking for a promotional type game something you can promote we had played villanova uh a couple years before and it was a even game at villanova going into uh, the last 10 minutes of the game. So, I mean, we played extremely well, a lot of the same guys. So I knew we're not going to sneak up on them. You know, that that makes it hard. 
I know Jay's going to say, you remember what happened. They're going to be very focused on Lafayette. And going into this game, not that you're not focused going into the NCAA, but it's so much easier to play some team that never saw you play or somewhere else. I, I say this about playing Villanova. It was great the week leading up to that because we got a lot of stories. Everybody's calling. You're playing your alma mater. The worst thing about it is we had to play the game. <laughs> so they were so good. They had so many pros on the team, and they, and they were so focused on us. It may have hurt them for the next game against NC State because they were so focused. But um, anyway, that's that's how I that that came about. So you coached at Lafayette until the end of the 21-22 season. It was 27 seasons overall. If you had to encapsulate your Lafayette experience into like a few sentences, how do you look back on it? How do you think about it? Well, I think I focus on the players, the type of players that I, I got, the type of people I got to coach, you know. And would you like to have had, you know, scholarships the whole time, you know? Uh, yeah, but I really choose to focus on on the type of kids that I got to coach and the, and the relationships that I built with them and still have to this day. So many of them still stay in touch with me. So that's how I would categorize my, my time at Lafayette. I, I loved my time there, you know, I really did. Uh, and watching teams develop um, and players and, and student athletes develop. Having success does it hit differently as a player and as a coach? And is there one, does it feel different or is a win is a win? You know, big game's a big game. A win is a win, I think. You know, you have more of an impact in some ways, you know, as as a coach because you're coaching everybody and you're bringing them all. You, you're, you know, when you're a player, you're pretty much focused on yourself. You know, I know you have to think about your teammates and things like that, but you, how am I playing? How did I play? What do I got to do? Uh, as a coach, you're thinking, how do I – how do I help this guy? How do I make this guy better? How do I make the team better? You know, you're dealing with you're dealing with a lot of different things as as a coach. And it's so as the as the A team says, it's great when a plan comes together and to watch that come together. What does it mean to you? Because I, I referenced earlier just all the names you've mentioned that you've you've played with, coached with, have been friends with, and, and and such. What just does it mean to you to be a part of this Philadelphia basketball community? It's it's uh, hard to describe. It's uh, one of the things too. I I always felt that there's no way that I'm going to move far away from Philly. Even when I was at Lafayette, that was as far as I wanted to go. And obviously, I, I coached all over the world, and I played all over the world, and I was over there for probably eleven, twelve years. I always knew that I was coming back to Philly. I just knew, you know. And then being at Lafayette, it's sixty miles away. It was close to my family uh, and being part of the, uh, the Philly community. Um, you know, I worked in recreation. I worked at Paddington Recreation Center for a couple of years in, in Chestnut Hill. I loved uh, my time. I loved it and still love all the relationships that I have in Philly. You know, obviously I had a lot of different names, a lot of different nicknames. Going, uh, Rainbow Johnson, Francis Francis Dribbler over in, in Sweden at the, at the time. Uh, um, they called me Bear at Villanova. I mean, I had a I had a great a great great time with my friends uh, in in the basketball world. It's uh, win traded for anything. And final question: What excites you the most about this opportunity at O'Hara? Well, I want to I want to 
try to help uh, develop like I did when I went to, uh, whether it was at um, Lafayette or when we got the pen and changed that culture and make make it better. And uh, and I want to see how, how far we can come. You know, success isn't always just winning the division. It's how far can you, uh, what kind of impact can you make and uh, developing a culture, culture of success, culture of winning. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean championship, just means a winning culture. Fran O'Hanlon, thanks so much for taking the time. This was so much fun. Well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Cardinal O'Hara head boys basketball coach Fran O'Hanlon for being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show, if you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next time when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.